0: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Life can be messy, especially when it comes to family. What happens when everything you know about your child ends up being wrong? For Connecticut mother Mary Collins, that realization started to come into focus when her child was in high school. Today Where We Live, we sit down with Collins and Donald, her transgender son, to talk about how they navigated this very emotional time in their lives. It's the focus of their book, At the Broken Places, A Mother and Trans Son Pick Up the Pieces. Again, uh, Mary Collins is with us. Uh, She's a Connecticut resident, a writer, also professor of nonfiction writing at Central Connecticut State University. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. Also here is Donald Collins, uh, who's a 26-year-old graduate student uh, living in California now, also a trans advocate. Donald, welcome to where we live.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: I wanted to start with you, Donald. Uh, take us back to that moment uh, where you sat down across from your mother and told her you were transgender. Uh, how old were you then, and what was going through your mind at the time?
2: Yeah, so I was 17 at the time. Um, and I think it was one of those moments where I've just like never been so scared in my whole life. Um, I think a lot of queer people, and I use that word to kind of indicate gay people, by people, trans people, people who you know identify in between or beyond. Um, a lot of queer people have talked about how, when you come out, you really never know how people are going to react. You know, you think that you know. Um, sometimes you make assumptions. A lot of times, that's that's proved wrong. Um, but it's the I think it's the not knowing when you take that leap that is so stressful and obviously you know I'm an only child to a, to a, at the time single parent and um, that relationship is so intense that there was that added kind of um, weight on my shoulders and I basically just said hey mom like I have something to tell you I think I'm transgender um, and she was like I could tell that it didn't really connect with her like at the time you know this is almost 10 years ago I was 17 and Um, That was not a word most people had heard of, and I didn't actually have – I had not heard of it myself Mm -hmm. until, you know, a few months prior, so.
0: Uh, Before we hear from your mom, uh, you said that you were scared. You didn't know how she would react. So what was it that led up to that moment where you knew this was the day that I was going to tell her?
2: Yeah, so um, I like to describe sort of coming out as like – think of it like an iceberg. So like by the time you get to the you sort of for what you see, like sort of the top of the iceberg, there's actually something that's like 5,000 times bigger that's underneath. So the moment of coming out, while it's oftentimes sort of a huge, it could be a shock, it could be a surprise to whoever you're coming out to, especially family. Um, for the person that's doing the coming out, this is something that's probably been stewing in their head for minimum months, lo- generally like years, sometimes even decades. Um, and a lot of the times it builds to a point where you're your survival is kind of at risk, like you don't feel like you can continue um, living or living well uh, without sort of moving forward to sharing this information, whether it's, you know, letting your family know that you're gay and you have a partner that's the center of your world, or whether it's coming out as trans and saying, hey, I need to make pretty pretty quick changes in the way that I'm, you know, addressed and the pronouns that are used for me in order to, um, you know, feel like myself and actually enjoy being alive, mm. so. It becomes sort of this survival-based thing, and it just, that was the day. That just, I had reached that point where I was like, I got to do it now, or I'm, you know, got to do it.
0: Mary, uh, when uh, your child is sitting across from you and says, I think I'm trans, Mm -hmm. what went through your mind?
1: Well, oddly enough, even though I had been in a big city in Washington, D.C. for most of my professional life around a lot of artists, a lot of gay people, um, bi people, I had never heard or met. Uh, I've never met a transgender individual. I had I didn't know what the word meant. And so um, it is hard to imagine now after Caitlyn Jenner and Orange is the New Black. But at the time, um, Donald was the first in his high school that had ever come out. And um, so in that moment, I was trying to process two things. I knew that Donald... Um, after getting some very effective counseling, had come to some really good self-realization that he needed. And the answer wasn't something that was in my list, so I wasn't sure how to process it, and I was very scared. Mm. And I think sometimes when parents are scared, they, they might seem angry. And I think that we can't expect teenagers to be aware enough to know that the anger might be fear. And so at the time, I at first gave him sort of a muddled, useless answer. Now I understand in retrospect, but at the time I was like, oh, well, okay, well, all right, go ahead and you can wear boys' clothes. And I just had no concept that his fundamental sense of himself was as a man, and it really did actually take me years. And I'm, I consider myself a person who's highly educated and very well read. And it still took me years. And so sometimes I get upset with myself. But I think it was useful to talk to other parents. And they may not admit that it took them years. But usually it did. Um, I do think it's fabulous that that word is now in the public lexicon. And I think I would have had a much more mature and fully informed answer at the time than I did. But um, I also feel that the fear was not a surprise. I mean, it was a very unexpected transition. And I had been such a tomboy that I did not see any of my child's tendency to be sort of gender bending as anything, but like, yeah, I get that. And so what might have been a symptom in other families was not in mine. So in the book, Mary, you write
0: that you noticed uh, Donald um, was starting to be very gender neutral
1: starting at age 12, but you Mm -mm. never thought anything of that. Mm -mm. I had been that way myself. I grew up in Connecticut, and I played basketball. I started the – I ran on the men's track team in high school. I ran on the men's track team in college. Um, And so I was just like, I like to run, and there isn't a girls team. Um, So that was the space I was coming from. And my own mother joined the military in World War II when it was considered really taboo. So we had a long tradition of women that were just sort of, well, this is what I want to do, and that's okay, and very supportive of these sort of um, boundary-pushing issues with regard to careers and clothes. And so when my own child was doing that, I thought, well, that's okay. Um, And again, I think Donald's analogy of the iceberg is really useful because... When I heard the news, it came out of nowhere. For him, it had been going on for years. Mm. And I think it's crucial for both sides to recognize that.
0: Donald, for our listeners who are not familiar with the term transgender, define that for us.
2: Okay. So um, I think that my conception of the word trans is where you are moving away from your starting point. Um, So it doesn't necessarily specify a origin or destination. But so in my, in my you know, sort of instance, I was born, I was assigned female at birth based on all the different things that we consider in sexing a baby. And so they were like, this is a girl child, you are going to be a girl and eventually enter the female social role, and be a woman. And I reached a point where I did not, that was not my thing. That did not resonate with me. I didn't feel like that was truly me. Um, and so I decided that I would quote unquote transition to the male gender. Um, I think a lot of times trans is conceptualized as very binary, that like boys become girls, girls become boys. Um, But trans is actually a very broad, complicated term, and it really just means moving away from that birth, sex, gender assignment towards another.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, In studio with me is Donald Collins, uh, who's a graduate student living in California, trans advocate with his mother, Mary Collins. Uh, Both of them wrote the book, At the Broken Places, A Mother and Trans Son Pick Up the Pieces. Uh, Again, uh, going back to that moment when Donald told you uh, he was trans, uh, you told him it's going to be okay, but you also counseled him not to come out at school and to not use specific pronouns um, you said, looking back now, uh, you understand your fear. But at the time, um, I'm just curious, Donald, did you see your mother as a roadblock to your well-being?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that obviously, you know when you're a teenager, um, and I still feel like a teenager, even though i'm mm-hmm. twenty six. Uh, you are in your own sort of, regardless of whether you're trans or not, you're in this process of figuring out um, what you want out of life and who you want to be and and how to actualize that, and I think that that oftentimes leads to teenagers coming across for being very self-absorbed. But that's just sort of a necessary part of life. Um, and I think that I definitely kind of shut down a little bit when I heard that because it's obviously not what you want to hear. Even though you most most trans people when they come out, they have somewhat realistic expectations, or they understand that there could be a worst case scenario and it definitely put me in a position of being like well I'm going to have to do these things anyways and you know it's it definitely felt like an obstacle for me and my mom will tell me that will tell you and everyone that I was like a goody two shoes child mm-hmm. like I don't drink I don't smoke I got straight A's like mm-hmm. I was by all accounts like an art nerd and so the fact that I would defy sort of a request from her was really out of character and not mm-hmm. something that um, I would do in any other situation. So it kind of gives you a sense of how dire the need was in me to mm-hmm. you know, come out and actualize that part of myself.
0: Mary, well, what worried you about uh, Donald coming out at school?
1: Well... <laughs> Again, I had a lot of friends that were gay, so if Donald had said, Mom, I I think I'm gay, I would have been like, okay, and just kept eating my Cheerios um, because it's just life and it's partners and I just want you to be happy. I was aware enough to sense that this was more complicated and um, Donald was going to graduate anyway and start college. So I was thinking, well, if this is a part of this journey for yourself, why don't we just do it at a cold start? you know, go ahead and start college with the name Donald and ask for a male identifier. And I may not be super comfortable with that, but I get that's what you're going to do. And that's a natural transition. You know, why do we need to push this transition now in your senior year? Um, You know, again, looking back, it seems like, well, why did you respond that way? But it's so important to understand and why we wrote the book that the entire family is going to be sent into an amazing transition, and that asking you to flip a switch on a child that you've known as female and as your only daughter for 17 years is much harder for the parent than it is for a person who might have only known your child for a year, and only known your child in the middle of that transition. We had moved from Virginia to Connecticut, so everyone that had known Donald was close to him at the time that he came out to me was very aware of what was going on for him as donald but i was a parent who had had this child and you're suddenly faced with the most unusual feeling of something slipping away in front of you that you're not quite sure how to measure it so the fear comes in again like oh oh no 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 and I must add that a lot of my friends were like, oh, well, Donald's just a teenager. You know, he's just going through a phase. But I always had more respect for Donald than that. He had been a fabulous kid and is a fabulous kid. And I'm so lucky to have someone like that as my only child. Um, so I knew it was more serious than that. And I never was glib enough to think, oh, it's a phase. So that was not why I was opposed. It wasn't like, oh, he's just going to outgrow this and whatever. I was more like, what are you setting in motion we don't know where it's going. And I'm your parent, and it's my job to protect you. And even the people around you have never heard of the word trans. And they may be siding with you, the counselors and the educators. That's how it felt. Like people were taking sides at the time. Now I also realize that wasn't the case. Um, but that's how it felt. And I realize now we needed better whole family care for the entire transition. And we didn't we didn't get that.
0: Uh, you mentioned that uh, counselors, teachers uh, sided with Donald, but you were uh, really cut out of the process. So. Totally. And how did that impact you?
1: I think it was really unfortunate, but now, again, in retrospect, I have a little better understanding. I think they were afraid. And um, in their defense, I think they were seeking to be more progressive and understanding in their own environments where it's really important to do that because they're dealing with young people. Is their job to put the young individual first because the person is a teenager, and I respect that. But um, because they lack the tools to have a real conversation about the complexity of what was going on, they're, they, could, they could fall back on the fact that legally they often didn't have any reason to share anything with me. And a lot of parents, even if they're not going through something this dramatic, Recognize that from the age of 16 to 21, you look, gradually lose rights over your child, like the right to know about their health, the right to say whether or not they can change their name, uh, for example. And that's really stressful because you feel as though just at the moment when they're coming into young adulthood and you want to be able to really guide them, you actually lose all eligibility to say much of anything. And this situation exacerbated that trend, natural transition in the legal So we even have a chapter about rights in the book uh, that deals with that. And I don't think they handled it very professionally in some instances. They were too glib. I mean, someone who might have met my child for five minutes coming out and saying, well, you have a transgender child, just deal with it. Mm -hmm. And that was the extent of the care that I was given. I think uh, that's being really glib about what it means to have a child change that dramatically in terms of their identity.
2: And I would say that a lot of times um, people think that by coming to the defense of the trans person, the trans individual, or, you know, disparaging the person that hasn't necessarily been super accepting of them, that they're like doing trans people a favor. And they're really not because you actually just put the burden back on me Mm -hmm. if you don't, you know, treat my family members well because... Of the conflict we're going through then it becomes a source of tension that i have to deal with so i think a lot of times people want to feel very self-righteous and progressive and then it actually backfires because you're not actually doing the work that makes trans people's lives better you're just making yourself feel good um so that's
1: and the great irony is i always thought i was so progressive and so like whoa you know so accepting and then here I'm faced in my own family with this enormous decision. So people never really know how they're going to react until it happens to them. It's very easy from a distance to say, well, you should just think that way. That's what it means to be open-minded. And it's like, well, are you are you living this, this, this shade of grief that I have right at the moment? I don't think so.
0: Uh, Donald, at the same time, if you hadn't been embraced by uh, the school that you were uh, boarded at at the time and uh, the students, the staff, I mean, what would that have done to your well-being if you um, faced rejection in that um, environment as well as at home?
2: Yeah, so I was very, um, I guess, incredibly lucky and fortunate that I went to a boarding school where even though I lived in a girl's dormitory, I made really great friends and it was a very liberal environment and i was also very heavily involved in arts and theater which tends to attract people who are um interesting and creative and sensitive and open to all sorts of um having all sorts of people and identities in their lives and so i had a really overwhelmingly positive response um even to the point where like you know people that i wouldn't expect like people on the football team and stuff would look out for me and check in with me and just say hi to me in the hallway and use my name and pronouns um, which is really awesome. Uh, but So actually Laverne Cox came to my college and I had a chance to talk with her and I asked her what she, what advice would she give this to young... the uh, actress and... Yeah, Orange trans, black, yeah. activist and actress um, and so much more, Laverne Cox. <laughs> she came to Emerson and I said, you know, I asked, what advice would you give young trans people who are struggling with their families and she didn't even skip a beat. She was like, stay in school because, you know, even though... Things may be hard at home. The schools can provide a structure where you can access, even if it's just one person, that gives you that support network, that gives you that has your best interest at heart as a student, and gives you access to maybe other students or support groups or community resources. Um, unfortunately, a lot of LGBT children face bullying in schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, especially like higher education environments, can really provide support networks for trans individuals that they can't find at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was definitely invaluable to me.
1: I have to add that I think it's important to know that they could be supportive of Donald and not necessarily have to not support me. It doesn't have yes, to be agreed. one or the other. And then secondly, one advice I would give any parent that where they're in conflict over their anything with their child, it could be drug abuse, it could be that they're gay, it could be that they're trans, was that I always felt like it was my job to make sure that I provided Donald... The best environment for him and that I like I I sought out the best counselors, the best professionals, people, particularly Trantham in Boston, different people in Boston that really know their stuff and understand the particular group, whatever it Mm -hmm. is, the issue is that your child has. I felt like I could do those practical things when I was failing emotionally for him. That it was a, that I never let go of my duty as his parent, even as I struggled to stay where I needed to be for him emotionally. And I think any parent can do that. Even the most conflicted parent yes. is your child safe. Is your child getting help from the people, professionals around him or her or they? And um, so I must say, even in my darkest hour, I never let go of that,
0: of doing that. My guests today are Mary Collins and her son, Donald Collins, who wrote the memoir At the Broken Places, a mother and trans son pick up the pieces. Have you or a loved one come out as transgender? We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. My guests today are Connecticut writer Mary Collins and her transgender son, Donald, who now lives in California, where he's a graduate student and trans advocate. They wrote the book At the Broken Places, a mother and trans son pick up the pieces. It's a series of essays exploring the emotional path both went through when Donald came out as transgender. Is this something you or your family has experienced? You can join our conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. I wanted to take a call, uh, Ethan from Hamden. Ethan, go ahead.
3: Hi, uh, my name is Ethan. I just wanted to, uh, call and say, uh, Donald, I, uh, I started my transition about two years ago. I was 36 at the time, um so now I'm 38. <laughs> and, uh, I was listening to your iceberg, um analogy and I wanted to say that thank you for that because those, those were the words that I felt like I could never find in trying to explain this whole thing to people around me.
2: Oh my God. I'm so glad. (laughs) Um, thank you. Yeah. And, and power to you. I know that there's, we, we talk about, I think young trans people so much that we don't often acknowledge that you can come out at any point during your life. Um, and And that you have different challenges when you do so.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's been really great to listen to your guys' story and, Kind of I don't know, just feel like uh, you're you're going through the same thing with somebody else.
0: thank you so much. Well, Ethan, thank you uh, for your call. Uh, again, we're talking uh, with Donald Collins and his mother, uh, Mary Collins, about the time when Donald came out as uh, being trans and the impact on both of them. Mary, uh, you write in your book that you really went through a sense of grieving can you can you talk about that?
1: Well, I think um, Donald had uh, someone that he knew down in a haven that really made an insightful comment that when Donald was most emotionally in need, the people around you are also emotionally unavailable because they are suddenly hit by a piece of news and a transition going on in their family life also that they didn't see coming and and they have a reaction to that emotionally, so that means you're not available to them. And my reaction just so happened to be a very, very profound grief. Um, I felt like my daughter was sort of slipping away in front of me. It was a very strange experience to have that happen, and I hadn't. You know, a lot of times it helps with grief, right? If you talk to other widows, or you talk, you people have widow groups, they have grieving groups. There's no grieving group for parents who think they had one child, and then now they are seeing that they don't really know their child, and there's something really scary about that. And um, I think some of my own personal losses in the past had made me more prone to responding it as a, the stages of grief. I'd lost my father when I was 14. I was very close to him. And so I think that was a great example of where we could have received a little more professional help because I was literally going through the grieving process where you're angry about the loss and then you're in denial about the loss and then you're trying to process the loss. And Donald is in no position as a 17, 18, 19, 20 year old to be wrestling with his mother's problems and twice I went for help. And both times they sort of glibly said, well, you're a very healthy, normal person who's just going through a difficult time. You know, I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm. And I realized now I actually really needed professional grief counseling over the sense of loss so that I could fully embrace the beautiful transgender son emerging out of the ashes of our family life. And if I didn't deal with that, we would have lost our family entirely. And I couldn't have been closer or loved anything more than my only child. And that's, that's how hard it was. And, and I think it's important for people to be candid because parents hide that. They don't want to talk about it. They'll think everyone will judge them, but then they don't process it. Mm. Donald, it turns out
0: a, a unifying uh, force in your family was your grandmother. How did she uh, encourage both you and your mother to talk about, uh, you know, what you were both going through?
2: Yes, yeah, So my grandmother is Connie Collins, living legend. She is 95. <laughs> um, and she basically within sort of, I think like after about a year, she was, she sat my mom down and was like, look, like, this is not, you know, this is not just like, something that is going to resolve itself. And if you love your child and you want your child in your life, like you have to find a way to make this work. And she really was not judgmental and she provided sort of that mediating presence that sort of ideally like a support group or a counselor, or a therapist um, could provide, uh, especially whether it's family therapy or individual therapy um, or not therapy, just going to you know a meetup. And I think that was definitely a moment my mom has pointed to as being like, okay, like I have to move on to the next phase and find out how we're going to, you know, how this is going to be going forward. And, you know, from then on, it was still a process of many years, like it doesn't happen overnight. And I think it's very hard to talk to families in conflict and say, hey, like, we experienced this conflict for five, six years, and there's still things we disagree over. And you have to sort of, Make it clear to people that communication is the most important thing, but that you also need a sort of a buffer. And my grandmother provided that for us. Mm-hmm. I hope my mom would agree with that mm-hmm. assessment.
0: Did the timing work out best for you, Donald? Because again, you came out your senior year of high school, changed your name, pronouns were different, but then you went away to college, and that's when you began uh, taking testosterone. That was a very tumultuous time. Tell us what happened when your mother found out.
2: Yeah, so um, my first year of college was I went to Emerson College in Boston, which is um, very sort of well regarded as being an LGBT friendly college, although generally Emersonians would agree that that tends towards um, more more so white gay students, but they've really been working hard to kind of branch out and and always doing work trying to um, facilitate discussion around queer issues and respect queer identities, and so I was lucky in that I ended up in a dorm where even though my name wasn't legally changed, as soon as my RAs like, read my paperwork, he literally just left his room, printed a new card for me, and like changed it on my door. Um, everyone was incredibly respectful and conscientious, but my first year of college was brutal. Like, I hadn't legally changed my gender, so I wasn't allowed to room with boys, so I had a single room, which is very isolating, and obviously I was going through a lot. I was trying to navigate a medical transition. Um, while having sort of these pretty serious, intensely emotional conflicts with my mom and and um the sort of semi-estrangement that happened. And I called her one day, and I basically was sort of coming out to her that I was going to start hormones. And I just remember at the beginning of the call that she could hear the tone in my voice, and she was like, instantly, she was like, what's wrong? Like, are you safe? Like, what's happening? Like, she could just sense that something really, really big was like on my mind. Um, and when I told her, you know, I'm, I'm going to be starting hormone replacement treatment, which for me as a trans male was um, taking testosterone, uh, she said, I don't know if I'm comfortable, you know, like, you know, having you come home right now with that sort of by taking that medical step. It was something that she was very uncomfortable with. And I think sort of physical modifications is still sort of a point of disagreement between us. Um, but obviously, something that we've worked through and found a lot of uh, mm-hmm. common ground regarding. Um, so, yeah, that was unbelievably intense. And I think a lot of trans people will the trans people who have um, felt necessary, felt that hormone treatment was necessary for them. It's not all trans people. You don't need to be on hormones or have surgery to be trans. Um, there's no right way to be trans. Mm-hmm. I think that that conversation about starting hormones is something that so many trans people point to as just like a flashpoint. Many trans people will never tell their family and just do it. One of my friends, like his family found out because they found his prescription in like the shared family car. Um, or obviously the changes start happening and some people literally will just explain it with something else or, you know, you're moving away and you go out of your way to not talk to your family on the phone um, or go out and try to change your voice. So that is such a like intense conversation to have. And I'm glad that I was able to have it, but it was it was very stressful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Mary, so when uh, you had that conversation with Donald and, mm-hmm. and you said those uh, things, so you were letting Donald know you weren't comfortable having him in the house while he was undergoing the hormones? I mean, how did you feel looking back now that um, you were kind of closing that door? Um,
1: right. But you have to remember that at the time, again, nobody even knew what transgender was mm-hmm. And from my point of view, it could have been like, I'm an addict and I want to come shoot up in your house. I, I have, I, I'm a person who's sick. And now I realize, well, no, this. Too, but at the time I'm thinking, do I just have a very sick child and I'm empowering him to make decisions that are bad for his health? So it's very important to understand that if the parent is feeling protective How do they know? What does it mean to be the good mom? That I'm protecting my daughter from depression and suicidal tendencies by empowering her right to be Donald? Or am I empowering Donald? Am I allowing my daughter to commit suicide right in front of me? Okay. So at at the time, that's how I'm processing it. Now, Donald has really... Made it clear to me that there was no choice, and this was who he was, and it was part of an essential transition, and he was saving his own life, and and I realized I should have provided more emotional support at the time, but I didn't have any reference point, and the I can't emphasize enough the fear that you have, like what am I allowing here under my own roof? Like again, at the time I don't think that way now. I'm thinking. Well, would this be like me allowing an addict to be an addict under my own house? I mean, that's how off I was about understanding what was going on and why he needed to do this. And so those those 18 months were brutal for us because I had to keep figuring out, is this just a mental illness where he's self-destructing? Or is this, you know, he's a transgender individual and I'm not providing enough support. And every day you're asking yourself that as a parent. And a lot of parents are just like, yeah, this is fine. I'm 100 percent there. But I'll tell you, if you talk to them off the record, that's not what they think. And we found that out. And then so that means these kind of conversations are crucial because if I had had this book, I think when Donald made that call, I would have been like, okay, let's come home and let's figure out whether or not this like I got to figure out what's going on. But that's, I mean, I, 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 I wish I could say I was embarrassed by my reaction, but my reaction was purely protective. I was really concerned that he was destroying himself. Mary Collins and Donald Collins are my guests today here on Where We
0: Live. Uh, they wrote the memoir, At the Broken Places, A Mother and Trans Son Pick Up the Pieces. Uh, Sammy's calling from Hamden. Sammy, go ahead. Hi. So tell us, uh, what was your question or comment?
3: Um, well i'm i'm transgender and i came out uh, about 15 years ago and it was just really nice to hear a story other than mine that that was heartwarming and and had a positive outcome
0: mm. well thank you sammy uh for calling in we're glad too sammy <laughs> that's really great sammy
1: that you called
2: yeah and i think that it can sometimes be hard because especially the media wants to to have really positive trans stories. And a lot of times that erases some of the muddier, more complex, difficult parts of those stories that are lived and experienced by those families and trans individuals for for years, but that you can come to a more positive place just as like a complex process.
0: Well, thank you, Sammy, again, for listening and calling in today. Uh, you know, I wanted to also uh, bring up We talked about the grieving process that you went through, Mary, um, how uh, you were lucky, Donald, to have this support at college while your mother was going through um, these uh, very uh, difficult emotions. Um, You were estranged uh, for a period of time. Uh, But what were some of the other concerns that you had, Mary, in terms of uh, the medical decisions
1: that Donald uh, was taking on, which was his right? Right. So that's that's part of being a parent and letting go and having respect for your own child's decisions and that's hard to do when your child's 17 to 21 like you you have to make that transition no matter what's going on with your child you still have to respect that they are coming into adulthood you as a parent need to change and let go i think parents already have trouble doing that right letting their kid go off to college and literally letting them come into adulthood and then this situation exacerbated that because I had to let go to such a degree. Um, so, yeah. in the end, Donald has every right to be the man he wants to be. And I love him and I'm so admire his strength and courage. And uh, thanks, Mom. <laughs> yeah.
0: This book really was a a healing uh, process for both of you, uh, Donald. Why did you agree to to write these essays uh, from your viewpoint? Because it's reliving a very difficult time in your life.
2: Yeah. So when I when Mom first approached me about the book, she had been working on this and sort of uh, developing this as a project for a while. I think starting with the Yale with the Yale writing workshops and um, had most of her material ready. We didn't read each other's material um, to kind of keep it honest. And she was like, I don't feel like this story is complete without you. And would you consider writing essays for the same categories that I wrote essays for? And at the time, I had just moved from Boston at Emerson to Los Angeles uh, to be a screenwriter, which didn't happen. Thank gosh. And I was like, you know what? I just moved across the entire country to kind of get away from this very intense, tumultuous part of my life. And I'm ready for (laughs) sunshine (laughs) and new experiences and kind of felt like I had dealt with this stuff. Um, So I was conflicted and I really took my time making a decision. But ultimately, I realized that we still had so much to work through and that I had so much to work through and it would probably just better our lives, I think, if not just sort of our personal emotional lives, our relationship with each other, to write about it, and also the added benefit of maybe kind of having it resonate, our story resonate with other people who maybe hadn't seen their story in a book or on TV or anything
0: like that. Uh, Linda's calling into where we live. Linda, go ahead.
4: Um, hi. Uh, my daughter, Natalie, is um, transgender. She's almost 23, and I just really am appreciative that you're having this um, aired. One of the things I just wanted to talk about was the feelings that maybe, well, I, I went through. Um, I'm totally comfortable with who she is, and in retrospect, I guess I always knew she was a girl. But when I always thought I had a gay son, and I was great with that. I, I mean, it was fine and wonderful for him then. And uh, when he said that he was transgender, honestly, this is you know six years ago before it became more commonplace and understandable. And I was so upset. I I just was so upset because I was just so afraid of how he then and the future she would be received by society. And you know, I have to say, it hasn't been great. I'm really, I'm comfortable with her and happy for her, but I'm fearful for her.
1: Mary, did you want to respond to Linda? I think that's wonderful that you're being so candid and... Um it is complicated. I have learned to trust Donald's judgment as he moves through the world. Um, he's very savvy. I think um, you know he's he's really educates himself about where he is and where he's going and the people he's around. He's done a fabulous job of seeking out places that really support and celebrate who he is. Like Emerson College was very celebratory. Big cities are much more welcoming environments, and and I just really feel that, um, you know, the fear I had has abated over time as I see him move with confidence and success as Donald Collins through his life. And I, I can't say that's going to be true for everyone, sadly, but I do feel that um, especially the younger generations are way more accepting and gender fluid and a lot less tension. And I have a lot of hope and a lot less fear about all of it, uh, and it, that's a really big comfort to me, and Donald has achieved that on his own, you know, made that happen for me because he's he's showing, look at what a good life I'm living, and it, and it really is rewarding to see that.
2: Yeah, I would say this is a really amazing, great issue to bring up because obviously um, every not everyone who comes out as trans is received as their correct gender by the world. And that safety is generally like the primary concern parents have out the gate for very valid reasons. I mean, I think at this point, we all know that um, in general, trans women are inordinately at risk for for violence and harassment. And that leads to other issues like addiction, homelessness, unemployment, and um, especially black trans women, we really have an epidemic of violence against them. Um, And in fact, I think just like yesterday, Malaysia Booker um, a trans woman was was murdered. Um, but I also think that, again, coming back to this issue of survival, that this isn't necessarily something you can suppress and move on, even if that might make your life safer or easier, that it, you have to take this risk for the long run. Um, and I think that parents eventually come to accept that, like it sounds like you have. Um, but it doesn't make it easier confronting the fact that It's going to be harder for your child in the world.
0: This is where we live. I'm Lucien Alpithanchel. Donald Collins and Mary Collins are here. Uh, They both wrote the book, At the Broken Places, a mother and trans son pick up the pieces. Coming up, we're going to talk more with them and talk about the visibility on trans issues today and on transgender people, people like Quinn Christofferson, a singer-songwriter who won NPR's Tiny Uh, Desk Contest this year. Uh, His song, Erase Me, talks about his complicated experience with privilege as a trans man. We're going to listen to part of that song as we head into break.
5: I used to be someone I hated I used to cry a lot I used to think I was a woman So I got used to pulling the short stick Now you all you think I'm man enough I got so used to pulling the short stick and I don't know what to do with all this privilege So I got a voice I got power, but I can't stand it I got a voice now, I got power, but I can't stand
0: This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Um, My guest today wrote the memoir At the Broken Places, A Mother and Trans Son Pick Up the Pieces. You can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Mary Collins here with her son Donald Collins. Uh, Again, we just have a a few minutes left and we talked about how uh, both of you writing essays uh, for this book uh, was uh, part of the healing process. But but Mary, what are the big takeaways for uh, people who may pick up the book, who may be going through Um, some of what you and Donald experienced uh, in terms of of the support that's needed uh, for families.
1: I think that it's important that the parents feel empowered to get good care and to see that that is actually a way to actually support their child better because then their child doesn't feel the weight of their emotional strain. Um, And I do think that based on the Speaking that Donald and I have done in the last two years, that medical professionals, social workers are really caring more and educating themselves better. And then we also found that exchanging personal essays without opinion, so you're just sharing your experiences, you're not sharing your opinions, was a very healing and therapeutic and generated a lot of empathy. I was felt very illuminated reading Donald's pieces. I didn't feel judged Um, and um, so I do hope that they can use the book as a template for a conversation that is about uh, story sharing rather than um, judgment and opinion exchanges, Uh, and that was definitely led to greater empathy for us. The stakes are high uh, when we think about
0: uh, the statistics out there. 40% of trans teens are homeless. Uh, When you hear that, that communicates to you that there isn't enough support for families when they're going through this. It
1: shows that, to me, that if we we do a better job, we might be able to keep 30% of that 40% in their homes with their families if we gave whole family support. Like, we may find, sadly, that there is some homeless rate, but not that catastrophic level. I mean, that's catastrophic, and we can't allow that. And I do think that part of the solution is that um, they need full emotional transition care for the whole family.
0: Mm. Uh, Donald, uh, in some ways, you were lucky that uh, your coming out process uh, ended up like it did. Uh, Even though you were estranged for some time with your mother, um, you um, have a relationship again. How did you get there?
2: I mean, there's no—I don't think that it was a straight path, and I don't think that it was always a given that it was going to end up Mm. okay. Okay. I really do think that the fact that even when we were apart and and semi estranged that we kept the lines of communication open and that you just go back to the basics, which is the first thing that i I think I like to tell parents when I'm talking to parents is you know do you love your child? You know, do you think that your child deserves um support? you know, do you think that you deserve support? like you need to acknowledge that you're going to go through something really difficult? And it's going to be hard for a period of time, maybe a long period of time, but you always have to come back to sort of like, I love my child, I want a relationship with my child. Um, and you know, I, I also think that we talk about providing whole family support, but we also were very fortunate that we had people in our lives, non-professionals, and in my case, many professionals who really were there for us to provide that support. Um, and I think that kind of educating healthcare professionals more about how to deal with with not only trans people but the greater sort of network around them, being aware of the resources in their communities, of any support groups, um, of you know literature, whether it's our book or others. I know Elijah Neely has an amazing book called The Transgender mm-hmm. Child, mm-hmm. Um, which is very sort of thorough. And I think that the only way we're really going to like make more stories like ours or even make shorter stories than ours... Um, <laughs> is to kind of all work together and look at the resources and and welcome more conflicted people sort of into mm-hmm. the circle.
0: Mary, uh, what was the reaction when your book came out, I believe, in 2016 from
1: the, the trans community? I felt um, that it's a hard story to hear from the parent. And I think it's already hard enough being a trans individual in the world You don't need to hear that you might be causing pain for people that love you, and you don't need that guilt trip, and you don't need that responsibility emotionally. So there's been some aggressive attacks online, but not as much as we thought. I I was actually really impressed uh, that I felt like 90% of the reaction to the book has been, thank you for having such an honest conversation. And I think part of that is even trans individuals that read the book with an open mind and an open heart will see that love was always there in the background, even when it seemed like my actions might have been totally unsupportive. It was maybe, as Elijah Neely actually said when we did a speaking together, sometimes it's the parents who love the most deeply that feel the most protective, and then they feel the most angry and most scared and and that it started with love. And so I think the reaction to the book has been not as caustic as I expected. Um, the book was needed. There was nothing out there that really captured this muddy middle where we stood. Where we, I was not opposed, and I wasn't hugely in favor. I was right in the middle trying to figure it out. And I think um, I hope people find it helpful.
0: We're almost out of time, but I want to mention the illustration on the cover of this book. It's a a robin, which is also, I think, the, the illustration of your tattoo. Yes, Donald. So quickly, was, why, why this robin?
2: Yes, I was fortunate to have uh, Lewis Rowe at Beacon Press, who was a classmate of mine at Emerson, really put all this care and time into the cover. Um, so the, a robin was actually my first tattoo. I don't even want to say how many tattoos <laughs> I have because my mom's standing right here. Um, <laughs> And it symbolizes sort of spring and and rebirth. Um, So that's kind of why we chose that to be the symbol for the cover.
0: Well, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming in today and sharing your story. Uh, Donald Collins, again, uh, who is a trans advocate, lives in California now, but for a period of your life, we're in Connecticut. Um, And also uh, Mary Collins, uh, your mother, uh, a writer and professor of nonfiction writing at Central Connecticut State University. The book, At the Broken Places, a mother and trans son pick up the pieces. Thank you both. Thank you you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm Lucy nalpith Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Thanks for listening.